Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. This is Footsteps of Messiah. I think we're on page uh, 195, 96 maybe somewhere. Yeah, bottom, bottom of page 195. And we are going to study the beginning of the tribulation. And we will take some time to go through this because there's a lot there. We've got to kind of unpack this a little bit. So, page 195, and we talked about Daniel 77s. And so now we're going into, we're, we're in the gap period of the, de- of, between the last seven years of Daniel 77. And the church is obviously in that gap. Well, the whole 490 prophetic years, it was broken up into three segments, if you recall, when we studied that. You have the first segment of, of seven, seven sevens, which is 49, 49 prophetic years to rebuild Jerusalem. And then after that point, you had 62 sevens till Messiah comes and is cut off. And we looked at that. So you take the first 49 prophetic years and then the 462 years and you get 483 years. And at the, at the 483 year mark, Messiah will be cut off. Well, that happened in 30 AD. Right there, what Daniel said. Then, there's, there's events that happen between 483 prophetic years and this last seven years. And we've been in this gap for the last 2,000 something years. And in that time, there was going to be desolations promised in the land of Israel. Israel would be scattered. There'd be war in Israel's land. And, uh, the temple and the, and Jerusalem will be destroyed. That happened in 70 AD. So, then what Daniel does is he gives a sign for the last seven years. And I can understand why he would do this and why God would do this, because if there's a gap, and it's been for 2,000 years, we got to know what starts the last seven years that Daniel has predicted. And the sign is what you're going to read tonight. This is what starts the tribulation. Okay, And if you go to the bottom of page 195, this is what it is. And this is Daniel 9.27. And he shall make a firm covenant with many for one week. That's the sign. Okay? And we'll talk about that and we'll unpack that. So, in the old days, people used to say that the rapture started the tribulation. And that's, that's not true. What starts Daniel's 70th week is this phrase right here. This is the sign that begins and kicks off the seven, seven prophetic years still left. Now, when I say prophetic years, I'm talking about lunar years, not Gregorian calendar years of 365 days and a four, 360 days. So it's a little bit shorter. Okay? So this is the, the, the sign that starts everything off. So the rapture obviously could happen a year before this, Three years, five years, ten years, maybe even more than that. And we've studied pre-tribulational events, and we've shown you that the rapture could happen at any time, and there could be a gap of years before the tribulation starts. And so, this sign, then, we need to unpack. 
Well, it's, the first thing we need to unpack is this, and he. Do you see that phrase, and he? You have to find out who is the he that he's referring to. Well, the nearest antecedent in Daniel chapter 9 is the prince that shall come. Not Messiah the prince, but the prince that shall come, and that is what we call, or who we call, the Antichrist. Okay? Commonly known. The man of lawlessness, but he is the prince of the people who attacked the, the, um, the tribulate, sorry, the, the, the Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. Well, we know who that was. That was the Romans. They were, he's a, he comes from the people, the Gentile Romans. Um, of the Mediterranean. So, people kind of want to get an idea, well, who is he? Well, you won't know. You won't know because that won't be revealed until right before the tribulation. The only thing you can say is he comes from that region, the region of, that was controlled by the Roman Empire, the whole Mediterranean, northern Africa, the Middle East, and into Europe. So he can come from any of those places. But he is Gentile and he is Roman. Okay, so then what will he do? What, what, what does this Antichrist do? Shall make a firm or a strong, in the Hebrew, it's a strong covenant. Now, when you see that word in the Hebrew, a strong covenant, it, it, it signals several things. This is what I want you to kind of write off to the side or whatever, wherever you're writing your notes. When you go to the Hebrew, when it uses this word, it's a strong covenant because of the sanctions that are in it. That he is, the guarantees that are in it are extremely strong that he is making with Israel. Okay? The second thing you want to notice about the Hebrew word, the strong word, means that it also is a new covenant. And not building off an old one, not using the Oslo Peace Accords. It's not using Camp David. The Hebrew is telling you it is a brand new one that he is making. And that's important for us to understand. I've heard prophecy guys talk, well, he might use Camp David and, and the Oslo Peace Accords, and, and that's setting the stage for it. Maybe it's setting the stage as far as doing covenants with Israel, but this covenant is brand new. No one has ever done this covenant with Israel, this peace agreement. So when you, you, you see this in Scripture, that's what God's trying to say. It is extremely strong, and it is brand new coming from him. No one has ever made this kind of deal with Israel. And I can tell you, based on what it says, I can tell you why no one has ever made this deal. And you'll see it in just a bit. It is very unique. Because no one has been able to ever cut this deal. No one. And you'll see why. Notice the next phrase. With many for one week. You want to put in the word the many. In the original Hebrew, it is using an article that it's referring to the many. Now when you see that going on in Hebrew, what the text is trying to tell you is this is a particular group within the nation of Israel, but it does not constitute the entire nation. It's the many. Now, there's many of them, but it's not all Israel. And that's what you've got to understand. That's very important to understand. 
that not all of Israel's making this deal. It is the many who do this. So that's extremely important to understand. Now the scriptures are telling you that Israel's divided. They're already divided today. There's a whole group of Jews, primarily, I think we, we talked about earlier, that are secular, that, that some of them, some of them are atheists, and, and really don't want anything to do with their roots, their, their, their historical roots or anything like that. For instance, this will blow you away. Do not think that the capital of homosexuality and lesbianism is San Francisco, LA, Dallas, or Atlanta, or even New York. Guess where the capital of homosexuality is? Tel Aviv. Does that blow you away? That's where the, all the LGBT communities in around the world want to center the capital at, is at Tel Aviv. The, the Jews in Jerusalem have to fight every year this gay parade that marches through the city of Jerusalem every year. They're already split in among themselves. There are many Jews, believe it or not, that don't believe they deserve the right into the land. There's people, Jews today here that live here that believe that. And, and, uh, there's many just left-wing, uber-left, whatever you want to call it, Jews, not only here, but also in Israel. And that becomes a split in the nation even currently compared to more conservative Jews. Now, now check this out. Check this out. You ready for what you just said, Larry? You ready for this? This will blow you away. And I guarantee you, you guys have read this and you've never put two and two together. Maybe you have. Revelation chapter 11. This will blow you away. Blew me away. This is about uh, chapter 11 when the two witnesses are killed. Listen to this. Verse 7 in chapter 11, when they finish their testimony, this is the two witnesses during the tribulation, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, this is the resurrected Antichrist, will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. He kills the two witnesses. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. What city is that? Jerusalem. But look what it's called, which is spiritually called Sodom. And they want to put the capital in Tel Aviv. Oh my gosh. I, I, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's like we're reading the newspaper. Because the, the, the things that are developing right now in front of our very eyes, he already said it. Jerusalem will, will be called Sodom in the tribulation. Wow. Wow. Okay, so the many, obviously that split is happening even today among Israelites. Even in America or there. So obviously this is getting set up that the many are probably going to be these liberal types of secular Jews that say, man, what's wrong with the guy? Let's go for it. This is the guy we've been waiting for. He's going to give us what we want. It's already split. And obviously the time frame is one week, seven years. So the deal is cut for seven years. This strong covenant is cut for seven years. That's the terms of it. Okay, and then we we watch. The rest of this play out. So that's the sign. That right there, my friends, is what starts the tribulation, according to Daniel. It's nothing other than that. Okay, so now we get more of the terms of the covenant. 
based on the reactions and what happens to it, okay? So in the middle of the week, the middle of the seven and a half prophetic years, he, that's the Antichrist, shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation or the offerings to cease. Now, that's describing an activity that has been happening for the first three and a half years. So therefore, one of the terms of the covenant is what? That Israel will what? Be allowed to do their sacrifices and offerings on the temple mount. Do you see why this is a new peace treaty? No one has ever been able to cut a deal like that. Oslo, Camp David, none of them included the Jews getting back on the temple mount. And this one does. When you guys start connecting dots with these pre-tribulational events that Larry mentioned, the Psalm 83, Gog and Magog, the Muslims are out of the way. So of course this guy can broker a deal. That Okay, you guys want to build your temple? Go. There's no more jihadists. Psalm 83 has happened in Gog and Magog, which has destroyed pretty much every every militant Muslim on the planet. There might, there might be some nominal ones that have joined up with the the beast religion, or not the beast religion, but the whore of Babylon, but there's no one going to say, well, we're going to fight you to, on that, that temple mount. See, that period of time is now over when you get here. So this guy can cut a deal saying, you want your temple back? You can have it. So it assumes this. Now, the other thing you have to bring into the mind is, um, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then if you jump to Revelation chapter 11, it assumes a temple. And so it's not like some off-site place, and I'll, I'll read uh, Revelation 11. It's 11, 1 through 2. This was, uh, John sees this. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and an angel stood said, Rise and measure what? The temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, for they shall tread it, the holy city underfoot for 42 months, for the last three and a half years. So even the book of Revelation is assuming a rebuilt temple on the Temple Mount. So obviously that's what that was one of the terms of the covenant. As you guys can be rebuild your temple and I will allow you to do your sacrifices and offerings. Okay. So then he then stops it. So basically what it's saying is in, in the middle of the week, the middle of the three and a half years, or sorry, seven years, at the three and a half year mark, Antichrist reneges on the deal. And he stops them from doing their sacrificing and their temple worship completely. Now, we'll read a little bit more in some other places what he does, but then look at the next phrase about what he does. Upon and upon the wing of abominations. Now, this idea of wing, it's a Hebrew word, and it, it, it connotes several things. The term wing means the pinnacle of the temple. It means the, tent, the, 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 the pinnacle. The Hebrew is using the word wing, and what that means is a wing spreads itself, and the Hebrew word is saying, Whatever's on this temple is 
outstretching itself for influence all over the world. It's it's overspreading like a like a like a bird would spread its wings, that its influence is spreading out from this pinnacle of what's happening. The word abomination then means idol. It means an idol is being put up on the top of the pinnacle of the temple, which is spreading out all over the planet. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what's happened so far. At this point, if you jump into Revelation 13, what has already happened is that the Antichrist has received a mortal wound that has killed him. And he has died. He then is resurrected out of the abyss or the abyss. And that tells you something about his character. And we talked about this a while back about the character or nature of the Antichrist, that he's not fully human, that he's a Nephilim. He's half satanic and half human. And the reason that, that we know some of this is because in Revelation, in Revelation uh, uh, 11 and 17, it says that he's resurrected out of the pit. Human beings don't go to this place. Only demonics go to the pit. And yet his resurrection is out of the abuse, uh, out of the pit, indicating to you that he's not fully human. So then he resurrects, he counterfeits the resurrection of Messiah, and then that's what starts this whole thing in process and starts the abomination. So you're on, in this scene, you're on the heels of his resurrection. Now think about this. How easy are people fooled today by just what people say in politics? I mean, we're talking drones, you know, going on. But well, he said it must be true. He said it on TV. Everything on the Internet's true. I mean, that's the mentality of most people, right? What happens if an individual has power, satanic power, to resurrect himself from the dead? It's over. Game over. Game over with that world, with that kind of mentality. If you're a drone, you, you fall hook, line, and sinker. This guy's God. Okay? So, so he sets up this idol. I will say this. The abomination is twofold. It is not only an idol, but it is a, also an act that he does. And I'll bring this to bear by reading 2 Thess Thessalonians chapter 2. It's, it's a, he's going to set up an idol, and that's Revelation 13. And this idol, according to John, has the ability to seem like it has life in it. It's not Zoe, but it, it is a simulated life, if I can try to explain that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it says this, verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. It's great. Apostle, the man of sin is revealed, son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. Now here's the, the first phase of the abomination. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So when you see the term abomination, it is two phases. It is him stating in the temple that I am God. And he's doing that after his resurrection. And the second phase is putting up an idol of himself on the wing or the pinnacle of the temple, which seems to have life in it. And apparently these, these idols can kill people. 
And so I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's artificial intelligence or it's like Abraham Lincoln down in Disneyland and he's talking to you. I mean, I don't know. It's animatronics or something like that. I don't know, but it has the power to be set up and it seems like life. Maybe John has seen animatronics and he doesn't know how to explain it. He does mention it does not have Zoe. Zoe is biological human life and it doesn't have that. It's a seemingly humanistic type of life, I guess you want to say. Maybe it's demonic. Not sure. Okay, so on the wing of abominations, you have the twofold uh, idolatry, shall come one, the one is the Antichrist, that makes desolate or causes desolation, particularly in Israel. Because as Jesus warned, when you see the abomination, flee, get out of there. So everyone scatters out of there once he does this, when he claims himself to be God. And even until the full end, the idea to complete the, the seven-year tribulation. So this will last until the final end of it. And that determined shall wrath be poured out upon the desolate. The idea is it determined, it's been decreed by God that seven years will, will, will happen. And this last, this last period of time will last three and a half years. No more than that. And God is certain, I'm going to cut it off at that point in time. Because if he doesn't, what did Jesus warn about in the Olivet Discourse? If he doesn't cut this time at the seven-year mark, no flesh would be alive. So, this is important, why he keeps warning about this, that I am, I am God, and he's saying, I am going to cut this off at the time I need to cut it off. And because Jesus said, if I didn't cut the time short, no flesh would be alive. And so this is important in what he's saying to Daniel is I have a determined decree of when this will end. Because it gets bad. I mean, it gets really bad. Everyone's dying. Everyone's slaughtered. Bloodbath. Stuff like that. And nobody really, literally would be alive. And so God is saying, I'm decreeing this. Your marks about this, about this determined time is Isaiah 10. If you want to write these down. God says, I'm determining this time. Isaiah 10, 23, and then Isaiah 28, 22, specifically say, I have determined this time, and it's not going to be any further than that. Um, now, that last phrase, the desolate, could be either one of two things, and we're not quite sure. It could either refer to the Jews, that they're the desolate ones, that it's, it's happening to them, or it could be translated in the Hebrew, the desolator, that... This will happen to the end, and this wrath that comes from Jesus will be poured out on the Antichrist. So it could be one of those things. It could be the wrath of the Antichrist towards the Jews, or the wrath of Jesus on the Antichrist. So either way, either way, I think both make sense, um, and you can interpret that those kinds of ways if you want. Okay. So any questions so far? I think what you start seeing, Tom, and this is important, the Jewish way of reading your Bible is to look at things as patterns, typologies. And typologies, I know for some reason, modern churches don't want to get into typologies, but they're missing the actual richness of the scriptures because Jews think in patterns. So like we're in 1 Samuel and we're looking at the life of David. For goodness sake, almost every story, there's an element of David's life that points to Messiah that Messiah did. So like even with Nabal, 
uh, and Abigail, David gives the Beatitudes to Abigail. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And that should hearken you back to when Christ did the Beatitudes. And it's just, it replays itself over again. So when you see Antiochus Epiphanes sacrifice a pig, and he caused desolation, he stopped the sacrificing, that was a typology that said something bigger is coming. And then with 70 AD, the exact same thing happened where they desecrated the temple. Uh, they put Jupiter, uh, statue of Jupiter up or whatever it was, Saturn, I forget which god it was, desecrated it, killed people. But then it was like, okay, this is the typology, but this ain't the big one. And it, it just keeps building and it's pointing forward. So what you're seeing is pattern, typology, and it's all over the place, man. So it's good observations you're making. Very good observation. And, and that's how you guys should read it. Read your scriptures. Every time you read a story in the Bible, say, where have I seen this before? In the future? In prophecy? With Jesus? And what will happen, happen is you'll start seeing, whoa, it's typology. Or like Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. Most people don't realize Ruth represents the church, Naomi represents Israel, and Boaz represents Christ. Or how, how, how many wives did Jacob have? Right? Two? Leah and Rachel. Church is Leah. Rachel comes last. Who does Christ get first? The church. Who comes next? Rachel. It's all pattern. It's all pattern in the typology. You start seeing these things like, oh my goodness, I didn't see that before. And it's like, yeah, it's been there. But you have to see it in pattern. So anyway, that's just a, an extra little nugget for you guys um, when you read scripture. It's very, very eye-opening to see all that stuff. Okay, that being the case, let's move to this, uh, let's see, page 198. We've done all this before. I've talked about all these little uh, aspects, so I want to move to Isaiah 28, and this is important. Isaiah 28 is your passage that's actually going to discuss a little bit more of the covenant and the terms of the deal. This is important for political implications today to understand why Israel will get into a deal with them. So what you and I should be looking at is how Israel is drawing towards this. That's what we should be looking for, okay? Isaiah 28 uh, is your passage. I'm actually going to turn to my Bible because I can read it easier in the New King James. But you want to mark it out a little bit in your own book and notes. Okay, Isaiah 28, and we'll start in verse 14. And um, I want you to notice... As Daniel had showed you, there's a division in Israel. Isaiah predicts the same division. Verse 14 of 28, of Isaiah 28. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Okay, so the connection is, this is the many in Daniel. But in Isaiah, it's calling the many scornful. Or another term we would use is a scoffer. These Jews, these particular Jews, are scoffers. Now, when you see the word scoffer, we're in 1 Samuel, and the first person that comes to your mind is Nabal. He scoffs. He disregards the word of God. They're fools. Fools disregard the word of God. They scoff at it. You might have been around somebody that you're starting to give them scripture and you're quoting scripture and they go, huh. Have you ever had anyone do that to you? 
I hear it sometimes when I'm preaching. Huh. <laughs> and then they walk out. <laughs> but no, they'll, they'll do that and, and they'll scoff. And when they do that remark, they're scoffing at the scriptures. And these individuals are, are labeled scoffers. They don't accept what the scriptures say. So that shows you a divide happening in Israel. There's going to be a remnant that says yes to the scriptures, and the other part of Israel says no, we scoff at them. Watch this, verse 15. So the, these are the people who rule, rule Israel. Okay, so that's another important thing. Apparently what ends up happening is these kinds of people will take political office of Israel. So I don't know what happens to Benjamin Netanyahu. He's very conservative. But at some point, Israel's leadership changes into these kinds of people, scoffers. We would call them liberals, secularists. So that tells me something's going to happen in Israel's leadership. I mean, obviously already in the Knesset, a lot of it's liberal right now. But it's they're going to take over eventually. Just like they've taken over our government, it's going to happen in Israel. These scoffers will take over, these ungodly people. Verse 15. Here's, here's why they're scornful and scoffer, not only because they, they, they disregard the word of God. Look what it led them to do. Verse 15, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death. This is from God's perspective, by the way. They don't see it that way, but God's saying this is what it is. And with Sheol, or the, the place of the dead, we are in agreement. Okay, so from God's advantage point, God is saying this, this peace treaty that you have with this guy, I'm, it's, I'm calling it a covenant of death. It's going to lead you to, to death. It's going to lead you to shield. It will kill you, literally. And then here's the, the political implications and some of the reasons why Israel has got into it. When the overflowing scourge passes through, the idea of the overflowing scourge is a military invasion. It's, it's kind of, have, it's like flood. A flood will come or a mil, uh, some type of uh, overflow. The overflow has an idea of water, but it's a military invasion. It will not come to us. There's your clue. There's one of the reasons right there that Isaiah is saying that Israel does a deal with this guy is they're trying to prevent another military invasion. I want you to think about this. What has happened prior to the tribulation. Israel's went to war many times, Psalm 83. They were invaded by Gog and Magog. So one of the reasons they're getting to a thing with this guy, apparently the Antichrist has promised them, I will make a such a strong covenant with you, you will never be invaded by a military operation ever again. And they fall for it. Now, what's the answer that they should have done? What was the, what would the Bible call Israel to do? Because they did this in their past. And the prophets would come to the kings and say, don't cut a deal with the king of Egypt. Don't cut a deal with the king of Assyria. And what would the prophets say to do? Go to the Lord. He will protect you. Quit cutting deals with people. They will finally make the ultimate cutting of deal with the Antichrist. That's their history, man. Their history is replete of making deals with people they shouldn't have made. 
And so it's prevent an invasion. Okay. They're saying, it will not come to us. That's the guarantee of the covenant. So here's what God says. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. He's saying the deal is cut is a lie. But here's the lie you believe. You're ready for the lie that you believe, Israel? And this has always been your problem, Israel. And it's our, all our problems too. You seek security in everything but me. You think you're going to find security in this world by cutting a deal with death. You go ahead and run to them. But I'm telling you, you're running, you're running to death and you're doing it with a lie. They're lying, they're lying to you. There is no security in this life other than Yahweh. And that's the same thing for us. If you try to find security in this life other than Jesus Christ, you will find yourself making covenants of death with things. They'll kill you. They're lies. It's really not there. If you think that your investor is going to keep that, that 401k protected on, in this economic climate, and you put all your eggs and security in that basket, not that you shouldn't save, I'm not saying that, but if that's where your security is, you'll find it evaporate. And God will say, and I told you, it's me. I'm your security. And he's telling that to Israel. That's what they've done. Okay, watch this. This continues to play itself out. Verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Who is that? It's Jesus. It's Messiah. He's telling Israel, You're cutting a deal with the devil, but I'm telling you, there is someone you need to put your faith in. And watch what it what happens. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Did you see what he said? If you believe in my son, the Messiah, Yeshua, your Messiah, Israel, it will prevent you from acting hastily. And what is the hasty act? Cutting a deal with the Antichrist for protection and security. So he's saying the solution to your problem is you've got to come to Messiah. And you know what? A remnant will. The remnant will. They will branch off and say, Jesus is the answer. This guy's the Antichrist. Don't cut a deal with him. And so already it's showing you a split in Israel that will occur. And it's based on Jesus, right? Verse 17. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hell will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. So what God is saying is this, Israel, the protection you sought, I'm going to destroy. And I'm going to destroy it with a war. The very invasions you were afraid of happening will happen to you. Now, we can mark this out, because this is all coming at the three and a half year mark, when he breaks his deal with Israel. Do you also know what happens at the three and a half year mark? A world war breaks out. There's three world wars. One happens at the beginning of the tribulation, one happens at the midpoint, and then the last one is Armageddon. So the midpoint can be found, that war is in Daniel chapter 11. That is the second world war. Now what will happen is this invasion will happen with Antichrist trying to protect Israel with a pincer move 
by the king of the north and the king of the south. And those conglomerates of nations will, will do a pincer move on Israel to destroy Israel. Antichrist will come into the middle of it and try to fight out both of them. He will be successful with the king of the north and the south and will fight it off. But at this point, at that war, that's when Antichrist gets killed. So the invasion they're worried about happens. And that's the first shaking of Israel, of their security. He dies, resurrects, proclaims himself to be God. Second thing sign to Israel is that he's claiming to be God. And Israel says, uh-uh, this dude ain't God, we're out of here. And so what God was is doing to Israel is shaking their foundation, saying, I am the only one. You need to call on Messiah to do this. So the overflowing scourge happens. Verse 18, your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with Sheol will not stand when the overflowing scourge passes through. That's Daniel chapter 11. Then you will be trampled down by it. As often as it goes out, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass over. And by day and night, it will be a terror just to understand the report. And the idea is the Antichrist has went on a rampage to kill all every Jew on the planet. And this is where a lot of them have to run into Petra. Verse 20. For the, this is a, this is a, a kind of a, a little parable of explaining their issue. For the bed is too short to stretch out on, and the covering so narrow that, w- that one cannot wrap himself in it. So this, this, these little sayings, what God is trying to say is this. You're like a very tall man that lays on a short bed and his feet are hanging off the edge of the bed. There's not enough bed for you, right? And then he goes, you're like a man trying to lay there and you have a little sliver of blanket and it cannot protect you from the cold. What God is saying is you have sought your security in all the wrong things instead of me. Because I could be your covering, I could be your refuge, but you will not come. You have taken refuge in things that don't protect you. And then he goes this, verse 21, For the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perizim. He will be angry as as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. That is the act of the tribulation. And the unusual thing, of the strange act, is what it brings about. Now therefore, do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord, God of hosts, a destruction determined even upon the whole earth. And that that last phrase is a reference to Revelation chapter 5, the seven seal scroll. And the seven seal scroll is what has been determined in the tribulation that will do God's unusual act that will cause Israel to finally bend its knee to Messiah. And hence, that's where you get the terms of the covenant and why they get into a covenant and then how they get burned by it. So, without that being said, any questions on Isaiah 28 or Daniel 9? That's a lot. But it should show you today where Israel is heading and the split that's going on in them. Y'all good? Yeah, that, that we're, yeah, that's definitely after the rapture. But I think what we want to see is, um, and pay attention to, is do you see how the pre-tribulational events play into this? 
that how Antichrist could get them to rebuild on the temple? Because no one ever, no one can do that today. The Muslims would go crazy. So it, 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 it shows you there has to be other events to take the Muslims out. And there are. And so therefore, uh, when you connect those dots, it makes perfect sense. The Muslims are out of the way. Of course they're going to be rebuilt on the temple. That's what everyone was saying. How is Israel going to rebuild on their temple? Maybe there's a great earthquake and it gets the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock off of there. No, there's no Muslims. That thing will be knocked down. How fast can the Jews get the temple up? They say 30 days. They're ready to go. They got the money, they got the building, and they're ready to go. So all it takes is for someone saying, go for it, and they'll put it up in 30 days. Amazing, huh? Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.